Welcome, welcome. This is episode eight of our new podcast called Behind the Wheels. My name is DJ Artistic. I am the host. I am a DJ from Los Angeles, California. I am also what I would like to call a cultural curator. And I am joined by my host, EB. So EB, what's good with you? What's going on, everybody? I am EB, the soul musicologist. I am a writer, blogger, and content creator based out of Brooklyn, New York, with a deep passion for soul music and all things black culture. That's what it is. And this is Behind the Wheels. Behind the Wheels podcast, we talk about everything to do with black music. We talk about artists from the past, artists to look forward to in the future. And we have a couple special segments we do every episode. We have what's called The Drop, where we discuss one topic. And we always end it out with our famous uh, beat match. We always take two artists, two albums, or even two decades, whatever it can be, and we match them up and see who would come on top in the battle. So before we get into everything for this episode, we're just going to catch up and see what's been going on right now. The biggest news for this week so far is that the NAACP Image Awards have been announced and we have the nominees. Uh, EB, did you get a chance to look at those nominees yet? I did. I checked a couple of them out. Um, I was very interested to see the Outstanding Album nominees because they have Alicia Keys, her Alicia album, Brandy's B7, John Legend's Bigger Love, Janae Aiko's Chilombo. Chilombo, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Legacy's The Wild Card. Those are all nominated for Outstanding Album. Um, and honestly, I've only listened to one of those entirely, and that's the Legacy album. So in the next oh, couple wow. of weeks, I'm definitely going to have to go through the others just to make sure that they're worthy to be nominated for Outstanding Album. You know, NAACP be playing yeah. sometimes. They do. They're doing that. They hold weight. It's important. So I have heard the Brandy album, and Brandy's album seemed to be a bit, um, a bit polarizing. Mm. It feels like some folks love the way that the vocals are layered. Like it, it sounds futuristic. So, so it's dope in the way that she makes it, uh, you know, forward facing. But it's of course it's not my favorite work from her. But it's still a solid mm. album. Um, Janae Aiko. I mean. Um, I, I would say I'm a fan of her overall. Of course, we kind of group her in with the kind of whispery, breathy R&B nowadays. But I think it's actually a good project. Like, uh, P-Fairy is one of my favorite, like, slow, slow jams in that lane for a while. And even tracks like Trying to Smoke, it's, it's, it's definitely the overused word vibe, but it's it's top of the line mm, for that. Vibe so, music. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, vibe music. I mean, it's as it's cliche as it is at this point. I think it is a solid album. Um also, with those nominees, we had the uh, the Outstanding Male Artists and Female Artists. So, for Male Artists, they nominated Big Sean, Black Thought from The Roots, of course, Charlie Wilson, Drake, and John Legend. And then for Female Artists, they had Beyonce, they had her, Jasmine Sullivan, Let Us See, and Alicia Keys. I feel like for Male Artists, Big Sean, yeah, Big Sean Detroit 2 was a solid album. Um, I'm, not, I'm not mad at that. Charlie Wilson's one of those this lifetime legacy at this point. Whenever he's nominated, I'm happy to see his name there. I'm, I'm happy, happy he he's made still that here. That's right. In the mid '90s, yeah, he he's still doing his thing and still he had a song last year I think uh, called was it called "Be My Valentine"? It was it was a cool wagon jam. It's just one of those feel good auntie and uncle two step songs. So I like that. I feel like Drake is just always going to be there. Drake is just going to be the last 11 years he's been like top yeah. three in the game. So. And then Black Thought, of course, I'm always going to be hype about about Black Thought. Black Thought is top five lyricists of all time to me. And even though he's never had the huge commercial success of the Jay-Zs and the 
the Ludas and Drakes. Like he's Definitely just always been five. here and always, always getting better. Like how do you get better after 25 years in the game? So I can rock with that. As far as the female artists, what you thinking about those? All right. So they got Beyonce. They have her, Jasmine Sullivan, Lettucey, and Alicia Keys again. Honestly, I feel like it is again. hopefully the year of her. Like I, I really think her should yeah. take it home. I mean, you're on a roll at this point. Like she's everywhere. She's doing everything. So I think she definitely deserves the award. I agree with that. Yeah, her. I think it's it's finally her time to to shine. No, no pun intended. Um, I remember the first time I actually heard her or saw her was BET Awards. I want to say 2014, and they have like that that music matters segment right before they go to commercial break. So. The, if you're watching at home, you get to see about 20 or 30 seconds. But if you're there, it's like the whole commercial break mm-hmm. is that artist. So she came in with her song. Um, I forget the name of the song, but it's sample oh, Isley Brothers. That's what she the, was uh, still, Gabby Sheets. Wilson. But it was, yeah. yeah. She was Gabby Wilson. Yeah, she wasn't even going by her yet. And it was the, the way the way she sampled uh, Between the Sheets was in the same vein of Keith mm-hmm. Murray, the most beautifulest thing. And it, it was kind of mind-blowing because they said she was, what, 15 years old or something. But... She was playing the piano and maybe even guitar at, at the same time, and then she started singing, and she had that hip-hop influence, but it's, it, the whole crowd just w- was enjoying it more than right. some of the main artists that night. So I said, whoever she is, a lot of times those artists don't make it as big because they're so musical that they don't know how to make commercial music, but she's found it's a way those to sunglasses. be successful She put those sunglasses so. on, and she got superpowers. <laughs> put them shades on. Yeah, she, that, that's, that's her. That's right. Um, that's her cape right there, so... I definitely rock with her. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't. Is is Chloe and Halle would they not count because they're a duo? Is that what that would be? Yeah, I mean they yeah because they do have separate categories for uh, duos and groups, so that's why they're not um, nominated for any of the solo categories. Oh yeah, so I do see that they actually were nominated for uh, for outstanding uh, duo or group. So yeah, that's that's always my pick for for right now. Uh, Chloe and Halle are out there doing that thing. And speaking of that, there's been a little bit of. I won't call it backlash, but it's been a few people who have been hating on Chloe on her newfound, you know, um, mm-hmm. sense of sexuality that she's been showing on Instagram and with silhouette challenges and all that. And I, I, I feel like all these girls who are wearing these long jean skirts just need to get over <laughs> the it. long jeans. They need to give her. Wait, they, so they gotta give her. <laughs> this is the thing, though. I think a lot of people yeah. are still stuck in the place that. Chloe and Holly were definitely children when we met them yeah, years ago, but it's been years and they are now young women. So I think it's okay that she's expressing herself sexually. I think it's okay for her to want to be more. It's like the Disney thing when they get caught into being the same character yeah. for the rest of the, that's what's wrong with Raven Simone now. That's why she have crazy. Cause they, <laughs> you just don't let people be who they are. So let yeah. the girl just be, she's a it's young true. woman. It's true. She's, what, 22 years old? Yeah. I mean, that's older than Beyonce was when we heard of Beyonce. But hey. as you said, it's only because we heard of her. Like, I first found them 10 years ago. It was 2011 when they were doing the Love on Top. Ironically, that was, that's how I found them. So, wow. yeah, it is like, as far as me being a grown a grown man, I'm not going to look at her, her in that way because, yeah, she was a, probably, what, 11-year-old when I first saw her. But she's a 22-year-old woman. Let her do what she does. And they had her crying on social media because they're criticizing her. But the ones who are criticizing her, I'll say the majority of everyone is on their head. So yeah. they're getting called out and reprimanded for it. So I feel like she'll be okay. Is this one of those growing pains that she has at this point? But I'm not mad at all. She can do what she does, express herself freely, you know. Another topic that we've been looking at uh, the last couple of days is the situation with the um, alleged mm. uh, misconduct from T.I. and alleged. Tiny. 
there's been some alleged there's been some allegations that they have been known for getting women, you know, drugging them up and having these wild sex sex capades with them. And it's been uh, reported to come from different women and T.I. did speak about it. Since T.I. spoke about it, you haven't really heard too much about it. Uh, so I don't know if it's a lawsuit type thing pending. I can't really say, but I've been hearing about that. And it's been, of course, when it came out, a lot of folks were saying they weren't surprised and that there is a huge sexual type of underworld going on within the rap and music industry and that has been that way for a while. So on one hand, folks aren't surprised, but on the other hand, there's always the folks who say that there is no proof at all and that it's somebody trying to slander their name. So mm. at this point, I mean, I mean listen, it, it it's still all alleged, but the girl who actually uh, broke the story, she did take a lie detector and passed it, proving that what she said mm. was the truth, at least that she understands it. I'm not going to say it is the truth, but, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. I just yeah. I really hope that uh, if it is something going on where these women deserve some sort of justice, then they get that, whether it's from the state of Georgia or whoever. whoever. But, you know, if it's not, um, I mean, I'm not apologizing to T.I. and Tiny for nothing because I ain't say nothing. But, you know, if it's not, then it's not. But, yeah. it, you yeah. know, everybody is uh, all of the victims are definitely owed at least an investigation to see what's going on i agree with that yeah at yeah. least at least take them serious so that's all we can hope for is that justice is served the the correct way so so going on from that um one of our segments that we have each and every episode is called the rewind and the rewind we will bring up some artists that we definitely feel deserve to be appreciated more somewhat of our unsung heroes so for this episode, as my co-host, who do, who do you want to speak about first? All right, so this week, I you know, I, I am in love with all things blackity black black, but yeah. this week... It's Black History Month. It yeah. is Black, black History, History Month, Month and, and for, the, <laughs> for the hey. first show of Black History Month, I'm actually choosing a white person this time, wait who is the rewind. <laughs> yes, I, it's, it's a white person. It's MC Search. And for those who don't know who MC Search is, he is a white MC who gained popularity in the late 80s and um, early 90s as part of the group Third Base with uh, yeah. DJ Richie Rich and Prime Minister Pete Nice. They were they were like one of the first interracial hip hop groups out of New York that was actually successful. You know, it wasn't like gimmicky. Um, they released the Cactus album in 1989 and that went gold. The song Gas Face was a big hit. Uh, and they had the video with Doom in it, Rest in Peace Doom. Uh, oh, DJ yeah. Subrock, Gilbert Gottfried, Flavor Flav, Salt and Pepper, Kid and Play, EPMD. It was one of those, you know how the videos used to be like house party style when everybody just All show the cameos. up. Yeah, everybody just show yeah. up. Oh, y'all shooting a video today? All right, cool, I'm here. So, <laughs> That's how it yeah, was. it was like yeah. one of those. Um, now, it is said since we, we, the theme for the show was allegedly. So, the, it is said that the video Imagine. contained in, insults towards MC Hammer and uh, the record mm. exec Lior Cohen. And this is all allegedly. I'm going to keep saying that. So you, people go watch the video for yourself and decide. But before third base, uh, MC Church had been trying to get into the Beastie Boys camp and they weren't having that. So after he joined, they started taking shots at the Beastie Boys, allegedly. They released an album allegedly, in 91, okay. and they took shots at Vanilla Ice, allegedly. <laughs> so, 
So it's like a whole mm. bunch of white on white crime. A lot of speculation. Yeah, it's it's white on white crime. So it's it's validation for Black History yeah. Month that I brought him up. So don't y'all hate me for it. Okay, you know, that's so that's, yeah, that's a good way to yeah, tie yeah, it back gotta, in. Okay, back. minus the MC Hammer insults, or you know, that's that's something different. But yeah, you can't, you yeah, can't dishammer. But yeah, third base split after their second album, and that is where MC Search's career kind of took off, and it really blossomed. He produced the soundtrack for that movie Zebrahead yeah. in 1992, and he released a solo debut, Return of the Product, which is an album that I love. And the Zebrahead soundtrack, now, that introduced us to a young MC out of Queensbridge by the name of Nasty Nas, as he went mm-hmm. by back then. It was Nasty Nas. Nas in your yeah. Area. So MC Search produced him and became his manager, and he also got Nas to deal with Columbia. And then he actually executive produced Illmatic. So. He's yeah. he's important to the culture in that him alone is great. You know, his album was great. Um, Back to the Grill was the single from his album. It had Chub Rock, Nas, and uh, Red Hot Lover Tone on it. But, Red Hot yeah, Lover you know, Tone. the MC name was crazy. But uh, he's important because he, he did introduce us to, you know, Nas, who was arguably one of the greatest ever since his career in rap. Uh, he only released that one album, but anybody who's listening from Detroit would know him from WJLB or Hot 1027 because he's hosted shows there. And just to go back, the reason I was very careful about the wording with the MC Hammer disc is because, yeah. you know, MC yeah. Serge did an interview a few years back where he claimed, this is all allegedly, that MC Hammer took out a $50,000 hit over him just based on the disc. Yeah, I mean, back in back in 90, 91, 92, that's a lot of money. So, you know, it, allegedly he took out a hit on him, but yeah. they've since talked it out, and I hope that all has been forgotten. Now, some songs that people should check out are, of course, Back to the yeah. Grill, um, Here It Comes, Social Narcotics, Handle It, and You Never Know. Again, he is the man that introduced Nas to the world and gave us Immatic. So MC Search is my rewind for the first show yeah. of Black History Month. Salute to MC, MC Search. I feel like third base is one of those groups that you just don't hear mentioned as much. You um, don't. Like, they might have somewhat been in the Beastie Boys uh, shadows. That could be part of it. And yeah. it could just be because there's so many groups from that era, from the tribe to Daylight Types, even to Wu-Tang, that are just so much bigger. But third base, if you were there at that time, you'd know how much of an impact they had. So yeah, that's definitely a great pick for this week. Salute to MC Search. And, I mean, Illmatic. Yeah, Illmatic is still seen as, by a lot of folks, the best hip-hop album of all time. And if not the best, it's top five, it's top five. easily. Yeah. Easily. So for him to exact produce that is a huge, huge feat. So salute to Search. I'm going to keep it New York um, for my pick. Hey. I'm going to keep it New York and hip-hop, same era. Late 80s, early 90s. My pick is actually my first favorite rapper. My first favorite rapper is actually Heavy D. Yo! <laughs> so every... Yeah, everybody, <laughs> everybody who knows me would assume that it was a West Coast rapper like Snoop, or even, or even MC Hammer. But when, when Hammer came out, he was cool to me. But I just like Heavy the most. It was where you just got I think major points. Yeah, with like me. my first time really hearing Heavy was really from In Living mm-hmm. Color, of course. So he had that theme song, and I was a little bit too young to catch his his first first songs. But I'll say Heavy was I always said he was like the only rapper in that period. Maybe not the only, but one of the few that your parents and you like equally. It was like he 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 wasn't corny. It wasn't where like your parents liked him, so you saw him as oh he's mm-hmm. whack because my parents like him. He's for them, but it was like he had the cool factor. 
So just going back through his career real quick, like he came out really around 1987 with his uh, debut album, Living Large. And the first track on the whole album just the drums just captivate you. As soon as it comes in, mm. the overweight lovers in the house. As soon as those drums come in with that Marley Marl, yeah. it's like, whoa, like, what am I about to listen to? And just those drums are just so hard to me. So that whole album, The Living Large, has some classics on there. And it felt like, uh, of course, I have to give uh, much love to the boys as well, to Eddie F and the whole crew. And the thing with them is that Heavy was the leader of the group. But, I mean, it was it was a perfect, perfect time in hip-hop. It was with him being with Uptown Records and He's one of those original bridges for hip-hop where he was able to bridge the, the R&B and hip-hop together. So he was one of the main rappers in that New Jack Swing era that he could hop on any type of track you threw at him if it was a more boom-bap, East Coast type of track or a New Jack Swing track. So, of course, Living Color was, was prime, prime New Jack Swing, just a colorful intro to it. And he did two different versions of it, and both of them, he was just so cool with it. And to me, he had just such a cool Playboy-type image, and... As a big dude, he was still moving. He mm-hmm. was dancing. He was light on his feet the whole time. And a lot of folks know that he inspired Biggie, and he, he was somewhat of yeah. uh, Biggie's mentor. So Biggie, Biggie took a lot of parts of his style and became who Biggie Smalls was because of Heavy. And, of course, you see uh, Heavy in that One More Chance video, but it's like the whole player side of Biggie was straight Heavy D. Even the flows, just the kind of real laid back, the low voice, because – when Biggie wasn't rapping like he did on One More Chance and Big Papa, he was sounding more like Lords of the Underground and, um, and you know, the high yeah. pitch, the goodness gracious, the paper. Like, that was different. But when he's on Big Papa, he's real smooth, and that was a lot of parallel with Heavy D. So I feel like Heavy, um, he doesn't get mentioned as much with the greats as he deserves to. I think he came a little bit before uh, we see that, what we call the golden age, at least for people who are born in the 80s. We see that 92 mm-hmm. to 96 as being the golden age. And he still had some great albums. He had the uh, Blue Funk. He had the Nothing But uh, Love um, singles. And he had the yeah, Nothing But Love album, I should say, and Waterbed Have with the yeah, uh, Big Daddy single. Yeah, The singles is all fire. Like he, I can't even name any like whack appearances or songs from him. And the fact that he rarely cursed. He had a single called Don't Curse. Mm. And... They're all like using the misdirection technique of yeah. acting like they're going to curse, but they didn't. And he had rappers Christian who are known music. for cursing all on there, That's right. keeping it clean. Yeah, and he and he continued his career all the way up until a couple years before he died. He had reggae albums in the late 2000s that people weren't even aware about. And yeah, He was half Jamaican. He was half Jamaican. So when I heard his first reggae song, I'm waiting for him to come in rapping because I'm like, it's some, it's some Jamaican dude, the whole song. And then at the end of the song comes, I'm like, I ain't hear Heavy D on it. And I'm realizing, wait, that was him speaking Patois, mm-hmm. like doing a real reggae song that sounded authentic. So I'm like, he still got talent and he's still doing it. So he was a great loss for hip hop when he passed. I think that was 2012. We saw him on the BT Hip Hop Awards. He performed there. And even when he performed, I remember people on Twitter who weren't probably around when he was in his prime almost having jokes. Like, who's this big dude on stage? And who is this? And I, it made me mad just seeing that because it showed that he wasn't appreciated enough. And then it was only a month or two later when he passed. So I feel like he gets his flowers from people who are there in that generation, but it's not the way that he, he deserves them. So I had to do this for Heavy D for this episode. Yeah, no, Heavy is one of, like, literally one of my favorites. One of my favorite rappers, like, right alongside, like, Grand Poobah. Like, yeah. I think they had, like, these very distinctive flows. And also... Aside from him being an amazing artist, he doesn't really get credit for taking control of Uptown after Andre Harrell left to go to Motown 
in yeah. uh, 93 or 94, I think it was, after he left. So that all fell on Heavy's shoulders. And then we got Monifa because of Heavy D. So he definitely okay. deserved it. We got Soul for Real. We got we Soul got for Real. So for he real. produced. Candy Ring. Come yeah, on. we can't forget that. He produced Candy Ring, every little thing I yeah. do. Like, uh, every little thing you you do. Yeah, you do every yeah. little thing you do. Yeah. He gave us those tracks. He and this where Soul for Real, and like. Yeah. He was an actor too. So I remember he was on Living Single. Yeah. He was a uh, Regine's big boyfriend for a he while. Was, on there. Yeah. yeah, it was like he was on there. I think he was on another show I saw at one time or something. But you know, he he had ventured into acting. He was a rapper, like you said. He could dance his ass off to be a big dude, and people were surprised to see him jumping around, causing earthquakes all over the eastern coast. <laughs> but he that's was, what happened. That's that Jamaican in him. That's true. It's, it's part of his culture. So yeah, they got like he was a huge. Yeah, he, he he had a huge impact to the culture, so I feel like we have to salute to Heavy D and yes. God keep his legacy alive. Whenever I get a chance to play some of his songs, I do, because I feel like he needs to be, a, the, the youth needs to realize that a lot of artists that they love came from his style. Like you can even you can even argue that the Drake types even came from that lineage of Heavy D, making that he was an actual rapper, rapper, but he had the songs that the women loved, too. Yeah, yeah so. One of the first. Salute to Heavy. So on the on the uh, inverse of what we do for the rewind section, we have what's called the fast forward. The fast forward, we're gonna be mentioning some artists that we feel you all should be looking out for in the future. So uh, once again, EB, I'll let you go first. Who is your pick for this week? This week, I am introducing the people to a Canadian singer by the name of Gary Canadian, Bills. Canadian, so, so yeah, not, not UK. You moving a little bit closer to I'm America. Moving to, I'm moving closer to America. You I know. The, I, I keep going everywhere else but America, but I'm yeah. trying to hone in on, you know, home. Gary I Bills, uh, <laughs> I'm in love with this guy's yeah. artistry. He was actually a runner-up on um, the Canadian version of American Idol, which is called Canadian Idol, <laughs> back in 2003. So okay. So yeah, he creative. was. He, yeah, very creative. <laughs> he was the runner up, um, but you know, obviously, the runner up also gets a deal and they get to release. So he released a solo debut uh, titled "Gary Bills." It did okay. pretty well, especially if you like music from that like 2002 to 2006 period. It was you know heavy, mm. heavy on the R&B. It was very uh, not that I'm comparing him, but very Ruben Stutterish. You know, very that makes G- enough sense. G- Gerald Lebertish, from... very okay. You know, Joe. It was it was that Jaheem. It was that music that he was releasing. So he did that in uh, 2004, and his next album was 2009, and then he kind of disappeared, just out of like disappeared for a while. People didn't hear from him. It wasn't until 2020 they returned and he released his third album, which is called Bleed My Truth. So he went away. He went through this period of self discovery. And he came back even better than he was before. And I'm not sure if he would agree, but I think, I really do think his 2004 debut is worth a listen. Again, it is very early 2000s, very reminiscent of that time. So listening kind of puts you back in that space. But like a lot of artists, you know, that debut album can be very tricky. It's hard to tell if it's you, the artist, or if it's the label, you know, I think about like Vivian Green talks about her debut album wow. now, which I love, but she's still like, you know, that wasn't me. That was the label. But Gary actually yeah, credits uh, his church choir for a lot of the talent and his interest in music. So if you're one of those people like I am and you're tired of, I know we mentioned it earlier, the vibe music, Gary's <laughs> got that. Yeah. He's got his very soulful okay. voice and his material is actually very meaningful. It tells a story. Some of the songs that you should check out are Bleed My Truth, Good Company, Trying to Be There, 
Blood Red Roses, which has an amazing video to go with it, and pictures. Yeah, so I'm very, like, definitely looking forward to seeing how this man grows as an artist. Gary Bills is the fast forward for the first show of Black History Month. Black History Month, salute, salute. So at least you pick one black artist. (laughs) I got one. For these segments, you know. (laughs) Had to do that, definitely. All right, so... Much love to Gary Bills. I'm familiar with his name, but not too much with his work. So it's crazy because when you mentioned his name, I was just like, don't you mean for the rewind? Because I remember yeah, just yeah. from that era, yeah, like no, you said. It's crazy. I yeah, interviewed so. him uh, last year, and like, it really opened my eyes to what an amazing artist that he is all around. Just his knowledge of music mm-hmm. and the inspiration and different things that he pulls from. Like I said, that uh, Blood Red Roses video, I think it actually was shot in South Africa because he wanted to explore a bit of his heritage, oh, wow. you know, as a black man from Canada or Nova Scotia. So it, he's definitely worth people checking yeah. out. Gotcha. Okay. So looks at Gary Bills with that. My pick for this week is actually going to be Chica. Hey. She's a new age rapper, real young. She's probably about 23 years old. And she's actually from Alabama. When I first, first, first heard her and saw her, I would have had no idea, but. It's something I've joked with, uh, with some of my friends about that accents are kind of being washed out when it's a thing of the past because the younger and younger mm. these audiences get, like they don't have accents the same way because every person I ever met from Alabama, you know, in my childhood and in college had a had a strong accent. But with her and even uh, Flo Millie, you wouldn't be able to tell that they're from Alabama, but they definitely represent. So with her, I first, um, I heard her name, but I remember when she was listed as one of the freshmen for XXL, and just from her picture being on there, the typical social media ignorance, you saw, you'll see people who weren't familiar, like, who is this? Mm-hmm. And even certain insults would come out, which made me check her out. I said, if she's on here, I mean, she's dope as hell, period. Because it's always been about image so much, and there's so many artists out there who who are getting, getting um, acclaim and love because of their image and not because of their talent. But I already knew she has to be dope because everybody who was defending her was like, no, if you don't know who she is, like, you're missing out. That's on you. So... It was it was kind of funny because it's where people who didn't know her um, would, were questioning it, and people who knew her were like, "How are y'all DJs and don't know who she is?" And I didn't say anything. I'm like, "Look, I don't know who she is, honestly. Just I know her name, so let me check her out so I can at least be familiar." And as soon as I started listening, I was hooked. Like she is a rapper, rapper. She spits like she is not sing songing. She is not trying to do the auto tune. She is not uh, she is not mumbling. Like she is precise. She has the sharp flow. Uh, the first song that really, really caught me was actually a song I had heard the instrumental of before I heard her version. Uh, one of my favorite producers who I mentioned yeah. in a previous episode is named Maxwell. From uh, He's from Canada. And with Maxwell, he had a, I forget what his, his uh, instrumental was called, but she's actually rapping on it. And the song is called High Rises. And just, as soon as it comes in, just the lyrics that she has on there, just the way the beat progresses and she keeps up with the beat. She goes from rapping to singing melodically and on key with it. Like, she just starts off the lyrics on some little black girl from the South, little black girl in her mouth. Like, just the first couple bars, you already know where it's going. So I said, let me check out all her projects. And she does have basically two two EPs. She has one that's called Full Bloom and one called Industry Games. And she's one of those types that I feel like when she blows up, it's going to be where the industry already knew about her. It's just that the fans have to catch up because she has a respect from all the artists in the game. She's actually on Stevie Wonder's last single, and it's crazy that – like even though Stevie Wonder um, is not it's not the '70s anymore, and Stevie Wonder might not be the the he's chart topping artist that legend. he once was, of course, he's Stevie Wonder. He's still number one or number two 
legends who are still alive in the game, even yeah. compared to those who are not alive when it comes to just his writing and what he's done. So for her to be on the single with Rhapsody and Busta Rhymes and Corday, who are basically mm-hmm. two leaders of the new school along with another legend in Busta, it shows that she's already solidifying her spot. So some of her tracks that, that I'm a fan of, she has one called Songs About You. Uh, the last track on her uh her most recent EP is called Crown, and I feel like she's the type, if you're just a fan of just hip-hop, of actual lyricism, but it's not boring, it's not too nerdy, it's not too technical to get into. Like, it's still digestible. She'll have certain songs where she's doing the, the, the triplet flow that everybody does, but it's similar to how, like, when J. Cole and Kendrick do it. Like, it's still very sharp. You can still hear every single word that's being said, and I'm a fan of that. I guess me coming from that typical mm-hmm. 90s, 2000s hip-hop, when... You wanted to hear everything that was said. You didn't want to have to go to Genius.com to understand what are they talking about. Like you can, you can clearly hear it, and I'm a fan of that. And she, I would say, if you had to compare to any previous artist, I hate doing it, but I would say Lauren Hill, because she just has that type of lyricism. She has that type of whatever beats you throw at her. I've heard her on those trap type beats. I've heard her on hip hop beats. Mm. I've heard her on R and B. I've never yeah, heard her she's fail. Also, so uh, one of the nominees. I for think Chica is definitely uh, next up. Outstanding new artist for the NAACP award. So, you know, I, I hope our listeners check her out and I hope that she definitely takes that award yeah. home with her. I'm hoping so. She deserves it. She, she's going for it. And I feel like she's the type, all it takes is that one or two, those one or two big singles. And then she's in there and that's it. I think that's, that's all she needs. So salute to Chica and much love to her and Gary Bills for our fast forward. At this point of the show, we will be taking the break. When we come back, we're going to have, uh, it's going to get a little bit, a little bit interesting. So, this this bit. episode's drop is gonna be yeah just a little bit. This episode's drop is gonna be about the church influence in R and B from the past to the present, and then we're gonna end off with our beat match. Uh, should we tell them what the beat match is gonna be, or should we? I think I'm, I'm gonna make them wait. No, let's, let's, make save, them wait let's save it. Let's save it. Let's save it. Let's make them sweat just a okay, little bit. Okay, let's make them wait a little bit. So we'll see y'all in a second. But in the meantime, make sure that you are aware that we have a playlist. So all the artists that we mentioned. We do have on the, on the Spotify playlist. It's available within the notes of this episode. Also, make sure to send us um, send us whatever feedback you have, or if you have any suggestions for artists you want us to talk about, or for the drop segment. If you have any any topic that you want us to discuss, make sure you go ahead and send us an email about that, and we'll be right back. All right, so make sure to follow us both on Instagram. I am at DJRTISTIC. EB is at EB for Press. And please make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We do have one recent review. It came from Sunshine1023, and she states the following Great podcast. I love their take on music. The rewind and fast forward segments are my favorite at the moment. They remind me of some great artists with the rewind segment. The fast forward segment introduces me to some new artists that are actually worth listening to. And they gave us five stars. So once again, thank you all for those reviews and make sure to keep on giving us those reviews because it helps people to find our podcast. So I appreciate that for sure. Now back to the show. Welcome back. We're back from our break, our intermission and now it's time to get into it. We have a segment called The Drop. Each and every episode, me and EB just, uh, we, we talk about one topic that's been 
either mentioned on social media, whether it's a hot topic or something that we've been seeing for the last couple of months, even years. And it's always something that hits close to home to us. And one thing that I can say with, with us, we've, we've been having a lot of different discussions about R&B, about how it's changed and evolved within the last couple of decades. And one thing that me and you have always, always agreed upon and and not discussed with each other is about just the church influence in R&B. I've seen you post about it on social media. Mm-hmm. I've definitely posted about it and discussed it. And one thing that I think a lot of us from our generation, whether you're born in the 80s or even more so 70s and 60s, but even with us 80s kids, I feel like uh, the church influence in R&B is a huge, huge deal to us for different reasons. And it's probably a reason that we can't connect with a lot of the modern R&B, but how would you tell it? I don't want to speak for you too soon. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Just the initial initial surface of that. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like last week when we were talking about looking back to look forward and, and trying to figure out why music has changed and what's happened. A lot of it with today is it's just the church provides a basic understanding of song structure, harmonies, and then you have like the ad-libbing that happens. And I understand why people leave the church and it's not as influential in their lives. But I think yeah. that there's a certain level of vulnerability that comes from being in the church, especially when you're singing and you have to ad-lib and you have to just like kind of pour your heart into the song that a lot of the best R&B definitely, definitely relies upon. And today it's missing. I think people need to understand everything doesn't have to be pretty and polished. And sometimes it needs to be ugly. You can't be afraid of it. Sometimes you got to put some soul into it and just let the song take over. And I know there was a time in the past that R&B relied heavily on gospel. It relied, like that's the the origin start. I mean, the genre started from gospel it started from spirituals and you know there was a long time a lot of people would say that in the 90s it changed when people like kurt franklin started making gospel music that was for the Sound streets like hip-hop yeah. and R&B. but I, i'm taking it back it, it started way before then i go back to like the 70s like the 70s like you had people like shirley caesar and tremaine hawkins Twinkie Clark, Supreme Jubilees, Carl Bean, they were all making these disco records to try and reach the clubs and try and reach a broader audience for the church. And as the as the time progressed, then you had groups like Commission, who we talk about about. here, who influenced people like Jodeci. So you had the church having this influence on Jodeci and Mary and Faith and Monifa and everybody, you know, back in the, back in the nineties, everybody had to have one gospel song on the album. You know, it always closed out the album, you know, thank you, Jesus. You know, I've been talking about (laughs) sucking this, licking this, kissing this and slurping (laughs) on that, but thank you, Jesus. It had to be on the album. And at some point we just kind of got away from, I think people got away from the church and subsequently they got away from gospel music, but I think that it should definitely make a comeback because Sometimes it's it just feels like it's missing something. I'm not sure what the something is, but I feel like if people understood basic song structure and harmonies, then maybe, you know, that would make the music better. I don't know. It's so yeah, it's it's a lot that can be said about it. Um everything you said I definitely agree with. And it's funny because one of the funniest pictures that I can find is um 
You ever seen Lil Cedric's uh, album cover? <laughs> yes. So a lot of people, <laughs> when I first saw it, I was confused. So for anyone who's listening, uh, Lil Cedric was a gospel artist back in the 80s. He had a group called Lil Cedric and the, the Haley Singers. And he, had, he was a little kid, probably like 11. He had a jerry curl <laughs> and a suit on. And it looks so 80s that it looks 70s almost. It just looks still. That's Casey, yeah, Casey Lil, and JoJo Lil and Jodeci. And his, grow up. his name is Cedric. And it was where he started off. Like as it not just in the church, but he had they're putting out church albums and songs, and it shows so much when you hear Jodeci's music because no matter what they're sing, they're singing about, it's like <laughs> it's like you hear the church in it. You hear it. It's like you can almost replace anything, anything. I mean, you could you could flip it, baby. Won't you just pray? <laughs> it would fit. Like it would sound like a gospel song. Whatever song you take from Jodeci and put gospel lyrics to, it would sound like it was you know. You know, what must I do? How much I think about praising you. I feel like anything you do with a Jodeci song will sound gospel because that's just what they came from. And it's and it's where, um, like, the influence just kind of washed out more and more, as you said, because our generation is not as big on church for, I would say, understandable reasons. And it's it's funny because me and my dad always do DJ battles on Twitch. And with my dad, he's a straight jazz head, gospel head, funk He's not really an R&B head, especially in, for recent modern R&B. And uh, during the battle, I ended up playing, um, I was playing Deborah Cox, um, Nobody's Supposed to Be Here. It was his first time uh, hearing it. His first thing was, this sounds like a uh, Yolanda Adams song. And I was yeah. like, I never thought about that. But I'm like, this song does sound exactly Alone like room. Yolanda Adams, but it's talking about love. And it, yeah. it shows how, it, it's the same song, because he played that next. He was like, you going to play that? He played He played that um yeah. That Yolanda, that Jimmy, Jimmy and Terry produced right after that. So it's like it just shows that in that generation that we grew up on, we're just used to having a strong gospel influence, and that's one reason I know I definitely can't connect to a lot of what's the modern R and B. And so this leads to something else that didn't hit me until recently. So Drake, of course, we've always mentioned how he's basically the biggest artist the last ten, eleven years. And the thing about him is that he's been known for doing rap and R and B. And it's been kind of even. I think the rap has been bigger than the R&B overall, but a lot of his album cuts are because it's R&B, and you always see his lyrics quoted for Instagram captions, but I never cared for his R&B that much. And <laughs> it didn't really hit me until late that he's Jewish and from Canada. He it didn't grow it. up in a black church. And because of that, what he makes just does not connect to me because the song structure, the way that it's like the harmonies are not there, it's where it's the same loop, even the production behind it. And that production that he used influenced a lot of the R&B this, this last decade. He doesn't get enough credit, whether it's for better or worse, for influencing this whole trap and beat vibe sound. Because when you listen to So Far Gone and To Take Care, that was his mm-hmm. whole style. Uh, you, you listen to even his, his first album, The Thank Me Now, uh, or Thank Me Later, Thank Me Later, I guess it was called. Thank Me Now was a track. Even though it was the karaoke and fireworks song, he came in with these songs that just have these real ambient type of productions that don't have any melody. It's just all these weird ambient sounds, and it's the same loop the whole song. It's these basic drums that sound like they came from an old chord triton. It's no breakdowns. It's no bridges. It's no build-up to the third mm-hmm. verse. It's no resolution from the third verse. It's no key change after that like you hear on the on the Nobody's Supposed to Be Here. And it's where lyrically it connects to the generation that grew up on him because He's speaking from that generation's heart. He's very vulnerable when it comes to the lyrics and the content. 
but the music just never gets me. And that's what leads to even when you do hear the Bryson Tillers and even some of the scissor types, some of the um, Summer Walkers. I like some of their songs, but a lot of them have that similar type of production and sound where you can tell at times that they might have been to church a couple times or that they they went to church, but they weren't singing in the choir. But I've realized that's just why I haven't connected as much to this modern sound because it does not have that no, same you, influence. Actually, you made me think about something that I have never, ever thought about, um, especially when you started talking about Drake and his influence. Like, I know that he has influenced this, the current industry that we're in. I know that, you know, the, the landscape of music, Drake yeah. has definitely influenced. But I like to think of him as like the great value Fonte where he, you know, he, he can do yeah. it, but Fonte, he doesn't yeah. have the... He doesn't have the soul. He doesn't have the, the, soul, the church. Even man. if he don't believe, you can pretend like you believe. Just just act like it just a little bit for the song. So, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. brought that up. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? You make, yeah. You're making valid, valid points. Um, we've gotten to a point where, as we talked about before, like as the lines between hip-hop and R&B continue to be blurred, um, it, it's like gospel has totally been forgotten. Even if you don't actually go to a church. Like, y'all, they got church online now. You can... You can roll over, yeah. yeah, and press, you know, what connects <laughs> or whatever. And you can at least hear the choir, hit a note or two, you know, the sopranos, the altos, and the tenors. <laughs> you know, shout out to all the lady tenors out there because yeah. I know y'all have them deep voices. But yeah. there was a point where the people could, you know, understand the basic song structure. Y'all know y'all got those those ladies who, when the tenors sing, they be looking so proud and they be yelling, yeah, just yelling it. Trust me, <laughs> I've I, I sang with a couple. They be killing it. Yeah, we know. Ah, <laughs> uh, keep know listening to us, like. y'all. Um, it, it, we've gotten to the point where people don't understand that base, <laughs> the basics of music, and they're being pushed to like the front. And it's like, okay, you don't, you don't know how to add a bridge in here, but we're gonna make the song a hit. Like, you don't know that your backgrounds need to be layered in a way so at least yeah. gives the illusion of a harmony, but. You know, we're going to make it a hit. You don't know how to ad lib because you don't really feel the song because if you wrote it, you wrote it from, you know, a place of, mm. I mean, maybe you was just tired that yeah. day. I don't know. But if, if you didn't, then you, you can't connect to it in a real way. So it's like we're just pushing out like the same thing over and over. And a lot of it, I won't say all of it, but a, a nice majority of it is because there's the absence of a gospel influence on anything to do with r&b and i guess again that's because the lines between r&b and hip-hop are now blurred so much like the genre uh, even gospel for a while i mean remember uh mary mary i mean god and me god and me god and yeah me. god and me sounds exactly like blame it's it the sounds same just like i love your song. girl and they all the regret from uh, latoya yeah it's the same like, song you know like yeah. as the gospel artist like you know i already talked about like how the gospel was taken from R&B and R&B was taken from gospel. But as they're trying to keep up with hip hop, now they're doing trap music yeah. and you know, they nobody are. don't want to be popping mollies in church while they praise dancing. Like you, it just <laughs> doesn't work like that. Like there has to be a line somewhere. Yeah. And I think it, when we find that line, if there is a line that can be drawn, when we find it, I think that we will start seeing more of what we want in the mainstream as opposed to, the same thing over and over. Yeah, I, I agree. And the thing is, one thing that, that we always end up having these arguments with, I guess, the younger generations is about, they always want to tell us, you know, well, music has changed. It's, it's evolved. Mm -hmm. Everything evolves. Okay, but 
why do you think R&B was so much bigger in the 90s and 80s and 70s and 60s? Like, R&B is definitely coming back, and I'm happy it is. The last couple of years has been a lot stronger than it was the, the rest of the decade, but it goes hand in hand. I mean, people haven't connected to R&B the same way, so it's not that nobody was making R&B, but it's like a lot of R&B that we had. Like, we had that EDM moment, mm-hmm. 09 and 2010. It's where every 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 single R&B artist from, from Beyonce to Chris to Usher to... If you want to say Rihanna's R&B, they all yeah. had that that EDM fist pump song because they were just always going to where the trend was. And it just shows that it doesn't connect the same way. And even like I mentioned uh, last episode, whenever it comes to playing certain songs at parties, I mean, SWV Week and these type songs and Keisha Cole Love, no matter how you feel about a Keisha Cole type, like those songs have a strong church influence that mm-hmm. grabs you. And it feels like you're at church singing it in the club. And it's because of the way that it was composed. It's because you're anticipating that third verse if you cut the song off before that third verse the crowd is mad because they're waiting for that versus a lot of these new songs you can cut it off after one verse and nobody cares because it's the same nothing's changed there's no chord in it anyway let, let alone chord changes so it's like it's, it, gets, it gets monotonous so i do i do agree i feel like i don't think every artist has to go that no. direction i'm not saying every single singer has to become uh gospel influenced at all they don't have to force right. it if they didn't grow up in the church I don't want them doing what's so out of touch and foreign that it comes out forced because we can tell if it's forced. But yeah, I just hope that some 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 elements of that gospel um, influence can come back. That's all. That's all I can I mean, wish for. Des- really, at this point, we really do deserve it. And I I know that there are a lot of singers who have this gospel or this church influence right now, um, who just don't do that because that's not what the label wants or that's yeah. not what will sell. But it will only take one you know, to be successful with doing it before other people realize that, you know, maybe I should get back into doing this. I mean, all the singers that we love, like we really love, I'm pretty sure a good 98% uh, have roots in the church or with gospel music. And they, they talk about it. I'm trying to think yeah, of the 2% that I mean, don't. It might be. It might be yeah, a, a rare it's, case. It, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking yeah, I'm like. generous. Like, you know. Yeah. Because. Yeah, I'm like. I mean, is there, yeah, is there a 2%? I know everybody I that like... I love, and I'm pretty sure everybody that you love. Like, we talk music a lot. I'm pretty sure they all, yeah. even if they are not in the front pew of the church right now, then that played a big part in their musical development and the music, the, their artistry. Yeah. And. I mean, maybe Sierra don't. I don't know. But even like. And even Sierra, yeah. we don't listen to her in the same way as we do to a right. Deborah it's, Cox it's, or Whitney or right. it's, it's, even it's a Mary. So yeah. I just think that there there was a clear influence. And it was, in my opinion, a mutual relationship between gospel and R&B. Because even gospel has changed a lot if you listen to gospel lately. But I hope that we can get back to where it was you know, a good decade or two ago. Not saying that I wanted to stay that way and never evolve, yeah. but it's just been totally absent. I agree. I totally agree. I, I would say before we uh, move on, I would say salute to Jasmine yeah. Sullivan. I think that her, I mean, I, ironically, hey. it's called hotels. But hey, I mean, Mary Magdalene. As we was said, the, the church influences. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's mm-hmm. this is Mary Magdalene EP. That's, That's the nickname right. of it. That's what I'm calling it from here on out. <laughs> the Mary the Mary Mag EP is fire. So I mean. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> she got she got the song she got <laughs> she got the song called on it and on it. I mean, if you if you don't hear what she's saying, it sounds mm. like it could be a church hymnal. But you read those lyrics and it's like, oh, you talking about 
I don't know if she says spin or spit. Communion. Either way, when you're taking communion, either way, I will. The communion a, chips and I will, the grape juice ain't good. Yeah. Then you have to spit. That's what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. right, that's what it is. I'm, I'm gonna roll with that. I'm gonna roll with that. So, yeah. So to everybody listening, uh, let us know what you feel about that, and if you have any other related topics that you want us to address in the future. Woo! And you know, so it's about that time. It's about that time. Um. What we have to conclude every episode is called the beat match. The beat match is where me and EB will take, it could be two artists, it could be two albums, it could be two different decades, whatever it, it is. We might even do songs versus songs one day, who knows? But what we do is take these two things and compare them against each other and we see who will come on top in the battle. And we have our producers, Melissa and my lady, they always vote and say who they feel would be the winner of that and you know right now i'm on somewhat of a losing streak because my producers i don't know what's going on in the water where they at i don't know if it's about the 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 pandemic the pandemic is is influencing them too much well i can explain women see statistically women are smarter than men so they're i mean they are smarter i'll give them that but i mean maybe this pandemic got them inside too much they gotta go outside get some fresh air Mm, i mm. mean it's it's a little bit hotter you know (laughs) I don't know, but okay, but you don't know. Tonight you might take. I mean, that's what, the I'm, that's what I'm looking know. forward to right now. So, with this beat match, this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna do a album versus album matchup. So, just to give some quick background, we've been having a lot of debates on social media and on an app called Clubhouse about the best R&B albums of the last, I would say, 30 years. So, what I will say is that what was seen as one of the best of, of that era is now canceled we're not going to mention that guy and what he did anymore we're not going to even mention that one and then uh in, in the clubhouse group i was in they actually voted lauren hill miss education of lauren hill as the best r&b album since 1994 and i just did not agree with that do you agree with that eb not at all nope not, not at all. all love it love I the love album it. i do love I do. it but n- no the best r&b album since 94 yeah. And you're gonna pick the miseducation for somebody who can't even show look, up on time? Look, no, absolutely I can't roll not. with it. So, I mean, I think I know what my pick is. I'll see if your pick, if your pick is the same, we're gonna have to debate something else. So, since 1990, I'll even say, what would you say is the pick for the best R&B album um, since then? Mm. I mean, anybody who knows me knows that I am a Mary J. Blige fan for oh, life. Mary, so, Mary. Mary's one, Mary's my life is mm. the best. The best R&B album since 1994, in my opinion. I I would say it's two or three. It's right there. I have to go Confessions. Mm. I have to go Usher Confessions, Confessions just to me. And mm. I will say it might be a slight, slight, slight generational bias. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get this beat match underway. And once again, our producers will be picking who they feel, what album they feel was the better album. So EB is my guest. I will give you a couple minutes to go ahead and fight your case for it. Okay. Well, as as I've already stated, anybody who knows me knows that Mary J. Blige is my number one of all time. Mm. And although My Life is not my favorite album by her, Mm. it is one of my favorites. And I think it's because putting on that album, it takes you through a range of 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 emotions and it makes you feel even if you don't want to like the album came out in 94 and 
became the blueprint, but it for a long time it's still like the standard for anybody anybody who's releasing an R and B album. Mm-hmm. Like she literally went into the booth and sang her heart out on every single song and that's something that we hadn't seen before at least not on such a personal level she co-wrote most of that album and even though she relied heavily on those soul samples from the 70s and 80s yeah it 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 wasn't like she was just using what somebody brought her it was it was a clear influence there like you clearly have a connection with this album and the artist or the song you know, the from Barry White and Curtis Mayfield or uh, Roy Ayers in the 70s to Rick James, Yarborough and Peoples and even Guy hmm. in the 80s. You know, it was like the music that she grew up with. It was the music that she loved and everything told a story like the, the album was a narrative. And it from beginning to end, it talked about, you know, this unrequited love that, hmm. you know, she had. From uh, Little Cedric, <laughs> Little Cedric, you know, yeah, Little Cedric. She wanted yeah. to be with Little Cedric, <laughs> but Little Cedric just didn't want what <laughs> what Mary was given. He didn't. He wasn't interested in it. So, yeah. it, my life, it definitely should be number one. It is. It should be the winner here because it is the greatest album to be released since then. And then you got publications like Blender, Vibe. Rolling Stone, Entertainment Weekly, and Time, who continually place this on their greatest album of all time list. As a matter of fact, it actually keeps moving up on the Rolling Stones list year after year, still today. And that speaks to the power of the album. And it's an album that came out almost 30 years ago. It had this influence over an entire generation. The title track alone became an anthem like you felt every second of my life from when she, the first la di da 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 when she hit the note <laughs> to the last ad lib it was like oh you know you know mary might be on that shit not that shit that y'all talk about but like mary on some good <laughs> shit right now you know it's like everybody that she sang for they felt it because they were all going through the same thing at the same time everybody knows how it feels to have an unrequited love everybody knows how it feels to beg for the attention of somebody and the album is just her like it's just mary there are no duets there are no verses by rappers it's strictly mary singing without the help of anyone else to appeal to the public it wasn't star-studded like confessions was with Lil john alicia kanye twister luda you know i hear you i hear you so i mean i'll say you know my life is definitely one of my favorites so it feels almost blasphemous for me to like have to even say anything negative about it. So I'm not even going to go that direction. Um, I will say, as far as these publications, giving the credit, it's Black History Month. I, I don't vibe. care Rolling Stone got to say. You said Rolling Stone, too. You said Rolling Stone. I don't care what they talking about. You did say Vibe, so, so salute to Vibe, but I don't care with, ain't that Mick Jagger? So, anyway, anyway. So, <laughs> anyway, so here's my thing about Confessions. Like, Confessions dropped 2004, and... I think no one really knew exactly what to expect, but we knew that Usher was on a crazy ascension. It was where his his debut album was was probably handled the wrong way, but it had some great music on it. My Way came, and it was like, wow, who is this? He's actually looking like he's next up to blow. 8701 came. 8701, he had these smash singles. And it's like, all right, he's looking like, we ain't going to say he's the next Mike, but he is the next something up there. So we were waiting for confessions. We knew it was about to be major. And here's the thing. So it came out the gate with, yeah. And a lot of people do 
nowadays we'll say, yeah, it's not their favorite song on the album or it's the worst song. But that's kind of like us using our 2021 vision, I would say. At the time, yeah, it was a huge smash. I would say top three biggest songs of the decade. After In The Club, it might be number two. It was a huge smash. And it doesn't sound like much of anything else on the album until you get to the extended version where you have the songs like um, Red Light. But regardless, that song was huge. And it's one of the biggest party records, the most definitive party records of that generation. It's, it's where the, the, a just, the A was on the map at that point. It was the perfect combination of the biggest producer in Lil Jon, the the biggest rapper, or one of the biggest rappers, I would say, in Ludacris, right, ne- right next to Outkast, I would say, was probably Ludacris at that time. And Usher being that king of R&B, about to snatch that throne from the bald-headed dude, which he did with this album. So the thing about Confessions is that it hits you in so many different ways. I feel like my life definitely has some great mid-tempo, some slightly slower that I wouldn't call, quite call slow jams, and then it had one or two uh, upbeat jams like You Bring Me Joy. But Confessions covered every bass, so it's covering the the upbeat party track like, yeah, those mid-tempo tracks kill. Like, you still hear, what y'all know about it? As soon as you hear Bad Girl in the club, everybody's singing it. It's like, he had that. He had the mid-tempo, like the, um, even Truth Hurts and Simple Things were some very solid album cuts. And then when you get to the extended version, you get My Boo, which is just a, a, a cool jam that you forget that it's not talking about your actual boo. It's talking about, you know, the one that you let get away. But it hits you in those directions. But when you slow it down, it has what I would say is probably the greatest collection of slow sexual jams, even above Jodeci's albums, even above the Ballhead Dude's albums, if if not better than 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 the uh, four times three play. It's right on par with it. So I feel like... When we go in that direction, it's hard to compete. And I, I just got cut off. I, I guess it's time to throw it back to you. But um, what's okay, your rebuttal all, on that? The, the four times three play is hilarious. I'm always going to refer to it as that from now on. <laughs> Confessions is a great album. Like I'm, I will never take anything away from that album. But a lot of that is based on the strength of the singles. Like if you ask the average person to name <laughs> some non-single on the album they'd be very hard pressed like you mentioned uh truth hurts and simple things like they won't they they won't know those songs they won't know red light or even follow me like they just they'd be like what like it's not a thing to them again again it's a great album definitely one of the best r&b recordings of our lifetime but it's still not seeing my life in terms of the personal uh connection the production or longevity. I mean, the song My Life, for example, it's become Mary's signature song. It was never a single, but everybody knows My Life. Everybody knows that song. Everybody knows that Roy Ayer sample because of it. And she's always been very vocal about giving back to any artist that she sampled or remade. You know, you got My Life. You got Be Happy. That's an anthem. Like, everybody does the Mary Bop. The Mary Bop. Like, even if they can't do it, Cause there's no right way to do it because she can't do it. But even if they can't do it, everybody does the Mary Bob. Everybody knows Mary Jane all night long. You know, everybody don't want to fuss and fight. Everybody knows you bring me joy with the Barry White sample. And then that section of the album that's from you gotta believe and to never want to live without you. Like those are some solid ballads, like some slow jams. You got I'm Going Down was a remake that was so good. People didn't even realize like it was a remake. It was like, oh, I really love this song. And then the video came. And then you got I Love You with Smith and Weston on the remix. Like, 
the original is great with the Isaac Hayes, but then you got the I shine, you shine, shine. It's like it's still throw. You know, it's, the party is forever going. Like I said, Confessions is great, but it's also an album where he had a lot of collaborations. He had all those people on it. My life was just Mary. Hmm. Like the most she had on there was Keith Murray doing the interlude, and even that that was. Before Biggie even used Who Shotcha, that was the Who Shotcha beat. It was a song for Mary on the My Life album. Like Mary really, really put her heart into this album and it became the sound of a generation. She became the Aretha Franklin of an entire generation. She really became the hip hop soul in ninety four with the My Life album. I mean I hear so I hear everything you're saying. So here's the thing that I say cancels out. So as far as him having features, he really doesn't have as many features as you, as you would think. So especially on the original version. Yeah, he has John and Ludacris on one song. On the remix of Caught Up, he has Fabulous. And then, like, of course, the My Boo was basically, you know, that's a, that was a deluxe cup. That was just him and Alicia. Then the Confessions Part 2 hat, Shine, and all them on it. So I'll say this. Mary's album did obviously rely on samples. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but... For for me, crowning, crowning a greatest R&B album for the last 25, 30 years, Confessions, it has a couple samples, but most of those songs that we love are all original compositions. So with Mary, she did have the advantage of taking these nostalgic songs. She did improve some, and some she just did a great job with, period. But it is very sample-reliant, which to me is more of a hip-hop type of trait. So with when it comes to these album cuts, I get it. The, the, yeah, Truth Hurts and Simple Things are not the most known album cuts, but... That's those. You talk about throwback. You mentioned throwback. Anybody knows throwback. You mentioned, I mean, Bad Girl was, was not a single either. And that song gets more play in the club than, yeah, or damn, or anything else from that from that era. You hear Bad Girl more than a lot of big singles from that era. And when it comes to the 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 trio, to me, of that's what it's made for, Can You Handle It, and Seduction, those are three album cuts that you heard at parties, at every college house party to slow the party down. You still hear those. It might be somebody's... um. It could be at somebody's wedding. It might be at it might be the garter removal. I played Can You Handle It as the garter removal song. So I feel like those are some super strong album cuts. And even like and Caught Up was another party song that he had too. So he came strong with those two party cuts. And like I said, it covers all those bases. Even do it to me. He he had the Prince type of feel to that. But as far as those album cuts come, I feel like those album cuts are not just on par, but even Possibly, I'm not going to say more well-known than Mary's album cuts, but those are some very known cuts. Like People talk about throwback all the time when it comes to talking about those uh, those R&B songs that have the hip-hop sample especially. And once again, it was not that reliant on the, on the features, as you were saying. I feel like Mary was more reliant on the samples than Confessions was reliant on the um, features. Yeah, I, I definitely hear everything you're saying in regards to Confessions. Like I said, it is a great album you know mary made an album about an unrequited love and just trying to be happy and move on with your life he made an album about being a fuckboy and it there's nothing wrong with that that was those were the times that we were in in 2004 keep in mind these albums are 10 years apart so mary has him on longevity and also just puff chucky thompson all of Jodeci, Keith Murray, Big Bub, Herb Middleton, like everybody, Faith Evans, 
everybody who was somebody or even about to be somebody at the time had a hand in this album. The album was so influential that it inspired rappers. Like she became the queen of hip hop soul. She became the Aretha of an entire generation because of this one album where she just simply decided to do her and album interludes. Remember those? Like all of her interludes were so great that she had Marvin interlude when she was just moaning and, and channeling Marvin. And she had the Keith Murray interlude with the who shot should be when Keith Murray was talking something. I don't know what he was talking about. I know all the words. I don't know what he was talking about. That's enough. That's enough. I mean, much respect to her. And you're right. I feel like confessions, the thing about that, that made him, he's still been the king of R&B since then. Whatever male artist comes out or has come out since 04, that's the question. Do they have a confessions? It's like, does Chris Brown have a confessions? Does Trey Songz have one? And confessions mark this time the same way. I mean, Lil John was the hottest club producer of that era. Just Blaze was right there. Brian Michael Cox, the, probably the top two, three writers for that decade. JD is a producer. And I feel like um, it, it, it carried a wide range of emotions on that album from him being a no good, but also to him just being a lover. And it's one of the only R&B albums that men and women love equally. I'll, I'll end it with that because every boy who was in high school, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, usually boys in high school don't like R&B like that. But but boys and college boys, college men, whatever you want to call them, love the album just as much as the women. So it was a man speaking to women. Men can relate and women appreciated it the same way. And that's the way I have to conclude. So I'm rolling with confessions. So at this time, yep, at this time, I'll go ahead and leave it to our producers, my lady and Melissa, and I'll see if... They can go ahead and convene and give us what they think their pick is for this one. And before, listen, if the lady says anything about remembering going to a concert, then I'm just going to be done. <laughs> you already know she Yo. is. I don't even know. I don't even know. I know. She like like concert know in, that in she didn't miss Man, to I want that concert. Everybody. And they, Everybody and their mamas but and I'm, probably their grandparents too. I'm like, and they, and and they they she was in Atlanta yeah, in 04. And so, they hey. kids at this point, shit. Yeah. <laughs> it has, I'm saying. You on the path. The story of the lady. I don't. Well, now she don't, don't want to tell a story about how she was because backstage at Mary's concert. Because she was five. <laughs> she was like, I was singing background with Faith on my yep. life. I remember it. I was eight. She learned. She learned what her life was. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> she went low. I went high. Um, we, we harmonized. Okay. Um, okay. You go I'm, ahead. I, I went okay. first last time. Actually, I did have a constant memory, but I'm not going with that artist. <laughs> no, share it. No, please, please share it. With please the share class. it. Well, I was just thinking the last time, I think the last time I saw Mary was Mary and Maxwell at the forum here. Um, and that was just, it was, they're timeless. So you can always see them no matter what year it is. They just, they have classics you want to hear. Um, and I was trying really hard not to bring in any like recency bias into this, uh, listening to y'all and these arguments, but I have to go with Usher. Uh, Confessions was just massive and I do know all those album cuts and I just yeah yeah and then I was in Atlanta and I was still trying to they had nothing to do with it until you really you said it just now and I'm like oh yeah I was there I wasn't even thinking that I was thinking about the longevity after I left Atlanta and hearing those album cuts 
right now and, and still knowing them in the order, like you said, those three in the order. And it's like, yeah, I have to go with that. Now, I do love Mary. I have seen her several times and she has lots of hits. Um, in fact, I saw her when it was Jay-Z and Friends after he canceled R. Kelly in Best of Both Worlds and he went on tour by himself. Mary came out and was singing something and this lady in the audience got kicked out because she was trying to fight. I think it was like No More Drama. And the whole, the <laughs> ushers came in my row and they had to, they had to kick her. They grabbed her. I'm telling y'all, it was a whole thing. And I was like, she was just feeling emo- the How you got drama during the song. She wasn't bothering nobody, but they kicked her right out that row. Uh, Mary does it for you. She does. She does it for oh you. God. I cannot deny she wow. was too strong, and she got like the whole and they were like, "They court sign Karen." And... That's cold. Listen, speaking about church. Yes. Dang. So it was. <laughs> well, what did we say about the gospel? The gospel influence in R and B. What did we say about it? <laughs> Love her, but in terms of just. Like, like I said, I was trying not to have reason to be biased because I was way younger for my life, but. <laughs> For me, it's Confessions. There it is. Now, Melissa, let's see. So, Confessions, I remember when Confessions dropped as a little girl. Not even a little girl. (laughs) As a high school girl. (laughs) girl. What? I was like, wait a minute. I went to high school. I grew up with mostly white people. And um, when they were listening to R&B music, it was usually just the the singles that they were into. Mm. And Confessions was like the first one that they were listening to the whole album. And uh, it was it was interesting to me just to see how how that album kind of transcend, transcended what they had been listening to. And uh, mm. I and I do know I can tell you every song on that album front to back i still listen to it regularly um and then we've got mary who i remember listening to that on my parents old sound system that had like speakers that were taller than me just laying on the floor Oh, and feeling feeling that music like I knew what the hell that that what she was talking about, but I just felt that album, <laughs> um, and I loved it, and I still love it. And just going off you guys's arguments and things, I think that Mary has it for this. That that album is still it still feels fresh. I agree. Mm. I agree. I agree. What? I mean. But Good she night. said it still feels fresh, and but I do love yeah, it. Yeah, sounds fresh. very two thousand and three. You know, yeah, even yeah, it does beyond yeah. Though. I mean, but even okay, never that mind, song yes is my song. But even other stuff on that album, yeah, it has to be right. We're not taking nothing away. It's just <laughs> I'm not. I'm not taking. I'm not taking. Like yeah. I love the album. I love that album. Yeah. I still listen to that album, but I just, I, it feels like very much of the time where Mary's. Yeah. I, w- thing, I would it, it argue can, that yeah, it's timeless. Like Mary, what's the four one one was more influential than my life in a sense, only because that's when the hip hop soul broke through. Mm-hmm. So my life was a continuation of that, and Every it did solidify that. It kind of evolved that sound. But I would say 
directly, I would say, what's the 411 was it more didn't touch influential, hearts, no, it didn't but I mean, hearts. her heart went broken. My life was better album, I would say. So, all right, well, we have another tie, so I guess the tiebreaker is you all. So, I need the audience hashtag behind the wheels pod. Let us know which album you think is better. I know uh, I already talked to Ninth Wonder. He told me there is no comparison. He said my life is better, but I mean, of course, he's an OG, so he was there when my life was like what it was. So I get yeah, it. Like you said, it's generational. It. It's, it's generational. generational. It is honestly. So it's like I feel like it's generational, and it's also a male versus female thing. So I think a lot of men will probably go with Confessions more so, while women go with My Life. But either way, I want to see what everyone else says and. For everyone out there, if you have any other suggestions for a beat match, if you want us to compare something, long as it's not Prince and Mike or Beyonce and Janet or something, I think we could do it. I mean, we might do Beyonce and Janet one day. Who knows? Mm. Who knows for sure? But either way, yeah, I don't know about I don't even want to touch that. But either way, if you all have any suggestions for that or any uh, topics or discussion you want us to bring up for the drop, go ahead and send us an email to behindthewheelspod at gmail.com and we will go ahead and get that to you and um for now this is episode eight closing out once again i am dj artistic and eb you have anything you want to say to the people um before we head out no i i just episode eight that's amazing to me that we are already on episode eight like this doesn't feel like you know something like a task It, it it just you and i love talking music and we do it well, so it's just, it just feels good, and I'm glad that people are rocking with us and have been rocking with us since episode one. I agree. I appreciate everybody who, who's tuned in, everybody who supported it and reposted it for us on social media. Continue yeah. to spread that word. And, I mean, eight, eight episodes, that's as long as a season on Insecure. So, I mean, hey, we <laughs> we making some progress right now. So, so I appreciate you all for listening, and we will see you all next time for episode nine. And... Artistic checking out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Mutz and the lady Yahuma Sek. It's edited by Melissa D. Mutz and the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.